only focus and task is to get a win this week. And that's that. No matter what you're ranked, no matter what all that outside noise says, or you know all the peripheral stuff, can't worry about that because no matter what it says, you got to win. And that's that's our whole focus. And that's really not a big challenge in my estimation. I hope it's not a big challenge for our players. It shouldn't be. There's Kyle Whittingham. Consistent message, PK. I think that's one of the keys. A reminder, win tickets Wednesday. Listen tomorrow for your chance to win tickets to the Jazz and the Warriors on Friday, November 22nd. Courtesy of your local Ford stores, purchase the Ford fans on all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming game and receive unlimited hot dogs, nachos, popcorn, ice cream, and soda. Visit the Ford fans on Level 6 for free Ford swag, Jazz tickets, movie passes, and much, much more. Give the little backstory here for the 8 o'clock listener just joining the show about why this is the question of the morning. Well, we're asking what makes Kyle Whittingham a great coach. He's 15 years into it. He's going to end up being most likely the winningest coach in Utah football history as his weekly press conference. And there was a, a, a fellow who's part of the social media team at the end of the press conference in a lighthearted moment asked Kyle, why are you the greatest coach in the history of college football? Who mows your lawn? But anyway, so then Kyle looked at me and he didn't want to answer it. And he says, I don't know, PK, you got an answer? And they put me on the spot, and I just said, well, you surround yourself with good people, you know, because me and Kyle never want to give each other credit and, and just messing around with each other. And then as I was walking to my car, I thought, you know, that's actually a good question. What makes him be a good football coach? Because you have to acknowledge he's a good football coach. He's got the program in a great spot. You, you, you cannot argue with that. I have a two-part question. One, <laughs> can you tell the steps you've taken to become the greatest football coach of all time? And second, who goes your lawn? Uh, PK, can you answer that for me? The greatest football coach? Whatever, whatever you have. Yeah, I think he has a lot of help. And I do think he does surround himself with outstanding people, but there's several reasons as to why he succeeded here. And why he's built a program that obviously is competing at a high, high level. I mean, there's been no team who's won the division and played in the conference title game two years in a row. Now, the Bruins did it the first year, but they didn't win the division. The the SC was on probation, remember? Yep. And I think they got there the second year. but And that'd be in the South, right? Didn't Stanford do it in the North? I'm just talking about the South. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just speaking of the South. That's all. I mean, that's relative to what the Utes care about. So... He, they're going to do it this year, barring the uh, the complete unforeseen. They're going to do it. And that says something. He's built, right now, a powerhouse. Whether it continues three, four years down the road remains to be seen. But for now, it's there. So what makes this guy as good as he is? In little old Salt Lake City, Utah, of all places. There's got to be reasons. What are the reasons? I put the question up on Facebook. And people responded. Did they not? Yes, they did. They did. What Some you of the got? comments were serious takes. Some of them were, uh, were going for the comedy. And I hate the comedy. I'm all about the seriousness. <laughs> we have four hours each morning to be serious. We've got the rest of the day to screw off. Neil says his BYU background. Jose says he was able to escape BYU. Mike, because he went to BYU. So there we get all the rivalry stuff out of the way. So his association with BYU, is that good or bad? Uh, Well, in those answers, I see a little bit of both. He went to BYU. That would seem to be a positive comment. And he was able to escape BYU. 
That would seem to be a negative comment towards BYU. He got out of there? He got out of Did he get out of there unscarred? (laughs) Well, among the serious comments, um, Philip, who actually wrote a a little brief essay here and had a half dozen reasons, says that uh, he has a straightforward system they learned from great mentors, including Meyer, McBride, Edwards, and Whittingham Sr. Whittingham Sr. is number one. The coaching tree that produced Kyle... Obviously has roots and problems. Well, if so you're going to have him about producing Kyle, you got to put in Nancy also. See, there you go. Because she ultimately produced him. There you go. That's his mother. She tells me almost every week, you were with him since the beginning. You believed in him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a solid, solid dude. Very rarely are you surprised by what he does. And what his uh, reaction to situations are. So we have all uh, heard quotes, both positive and negative. I think players, like most people, really respond to consistency. And when Bronco got hired, some of the players who really went to bat for him, that was the thing they said. The Broncos' message was really consistent. They'd run through a wall for him. They knew what he wanted. And I think it's the same deal with Kyle. I mean, there are questions that are asked now, and you know you've heard his response from like 10 years ago. I mean, the way he harps on turnovers and preaches turnovers, critical to winning. Second most important stat after the final score. How many times have you heard him say that? And I think the players get really consistent messages from him. I could answer every question almost verbatim for the rest of his coaching career. I know exactly what he's going to say. So there is that. He is a meat and potatoes dude with very little flash when it comes to work. And you know what he's giving you every day. You know what you're getting. And those coaching influences he's taken, as most of the time, that's not unusual. Successful guys, successful people take something from everybody who's been successful that they've witnessed along the way, and then they incorporate the things that work for them, filter out the things that don't. So certainly McBride and Lavelle Edwards and Urban Meyer and blah, 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 and obviously his father, I think, and he'll tell you this, is it was the number one influence. There's no question about that. His brothers are closely associated to the program. They're there every game, and one of them's on the staff. And so all those things factor into it. But I think that is if I boil it down, and if you have something that you think is missing, let us know. But I boil it down to the identity of the program, which some people scream and yell about. We had, uh, well, Kyle Gunther we had on Friday, and I was telling him about in that first quarter of the Washington game, I'm up there in Seattle in the press box, and I'm looking at Twitter, and I was getting the one dude among many when are you going to do your job and call for his firing? Because <laughs> they were down 14, 14 to, to three. 3. Twitter did not handle that well. Right. And I was surprised they were down 14 to and 3. There were, there were a lot of other along. This is typical Kyle in a big game. This is what the Utes always do in a big game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As they, if it were over. Precisely. Yes. And and I've I've got folks that 
are hardcore. You know, that w- when am I going to do my job and call for his firing? Uh, you know, that's over the top. But I've also got guys who are level-headed, rational, and been fans for 20, 30, 40 years saying, yeah, I think we need a change. What do you think now? You think you need that change? Or you're holding out if they lose one of these three games. Or if they lose to Oregon, he sucks. Get him out of there. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I you just got to say, man. You know you're going to hear that if they lose that game. And they very well could lose that game. Oregon's a good team. Someone's got to lose. It's all yeah. true. Yeah, so any, any number of things can happen. You can they very well could lose that game. So if they win that game and lose a Rose Bowl? Oh, yeah. Then, then a, my gosh, you got to get yeah. rid of them. <laughs> or, or it's that fan base wants the next step, winning the title game is the next step, and whatever Every comes after that. Every single fan base wants Rose Bowl. that. Right, I know. But when you get the next step, will you hear that after a Rose Bowl or playoff game? Depending on how all that shakes out. For some, yes. Yes, he's being paid $4 million bucks a year. He is compensated outrageously to, to coach football. I mean, life-changing, generational-changing money. And then that's it. You know, somebody will say, well, money. Yeah, the, the people who tend to say that are the ones who didn't have to struggle for money. And when we get a guy on, we bring on during the basketball season, and if I mention money, oh, you're better than that. Yeah, you never struggled with money. <laughs> It'll leave a mark. You never, you never saw your father on the back of an effing garbage truck throwing cans of trash into the garbage truck. You never saw your father do that. Before that was all automated and those yeah, jobs went right. away. Right. But I have. So don't tell me about money. You don't know what you're talking about. Because you've been blessed with it. And good for you. And so there's people think that because of this money stuff that you should be doing better. When you're, and they think that about Kristobiak. You know, if you're top 10 coach financially, you ought to be getting top 10 results. And so be it. But my point is, he gets cracked on, and he's been wildly successful. And yeah, I'm a homer for him. I, I'm not going to deny it. You, get, you should know where I stand on most issues. Everybody gets cracked on at this point. So how much do you just let that... Just it's part of the job and just roll with it. So what? It doesn't matter. I mean, the people who really know what's going on know he's doing a good job. Sure. Yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because it's just as your superiors and right. they keep offering you. 80s, presidents, other coaches, they know he's doing a good job. I think as we delve deep into it, one of the things that beyond the identity and consistency that I find fascinating is the, uh, the ability to identify and develop. Oh, big time. And I would say two things. Uh, one, the players, obviously. I think that's what you're referring to. But two, I remember when he started, and we both knew him when he was an assistant coach. And I remember when he started and he hired his staff he brought in, he wanted to bring in a lot of young coaches. Now, did he feel, did he say he wanted to because he felt like he had to because of financial constraints at the time? They paid him in the dollars of that era. They paid him a lot of money relative to the conference they were in and the money he was making. And so 
did Chris Hill give him a lot of money out of the assistance pool, so he had to hire young, experienced extend, players? Yes. And so that was, but I think deep down, he really did want to hire young coaches and train them his way, as opposed to bringing in guys who wanted to do things their own way. So I think it was both those things just kind of fell in, and they were both true. He didn't have a lot of money. He wasn't going to bring in really expensive assistant coaches, but he really did want to train young coaches. And you have to say, he's pretty good at that, too. And absolutely picking out Eric Weddle, who's undersized and turns into this, you know, what, 15 years in the pros now? That's amazing. And you can probably go down a list and cite guys that they've developed and identified and developed. But on, on top of that is that um, he, stayed, he stayed motivated and hungry and kept tweaking the stuff that was wrong. Because while he's really good, he wasn't perfect. And we all know the issues with the offensive coordinator, and we all know the issues with the passing game. He's kept trying stuff. Not and, perfect. Right, not perfect. And, but he's kept trying to get better at it, and look at this. <laughs> They've gotten a lot better at it. Tyler Huntley, this season he's having, I mean, he could smash records that have stood for, what, like 60 years? I don't know. I don't yeah, I think the past completion record I don't pay attention goes myself. way back. I pay attention and to it could and be. And how many years will it be before they have a quarterback who is this efficient? Again. Tomorrow? <laughs> Next year? <laughs> talking could, about, man. Keep your eye out for Bad Moon, baby. Have you heard of Rising? <laughs> he's <laughs> Rising. His stock is rising as we speak. That's just it, too. Is this a? You can't say it's a one-hit wonder, but what's the sustaining ability of this? Because they're on top of the world now. Well, it depends what you say. This this particular season, they are. Well, not, they won the division two years in a row. They are going to have four yeah. to five, three out of five, and they've got the best four running, to six. They've got the best running back in, in school history, smashing records. Yeah, they, well, they didn't have him for half the season of conference last year, and they still won the yeah. division. And they didn't have the quarterback smashing I think, records. I think still I, won the division. I look at the bigger sample here. Now, six years, and there's been one mediocre year and five pretty good years. I mean, seven and six, that was eh. But everything else, you're sitting here looking at nine, ten, and where's this year going? Eleven, twelve? Ute fans chanting, 13, 13. I mean, it could happen. They so I, I think that he is, if he keeps doing this for a while, I would think he's going to stay in that 9 to 10 range with the occasional big year and then the occasional one-off when you got to rebuild and you lose a lot of guys to the pros. But they'll probably be right back. Why, why wouldn't we continue to see what we're going to see until he decides to go surfing? I don't think he's going to go surfing. Swimming, jet skiing, whatever. Uh, I believe Needlepoint is. <laughs> well, if he wants. <laughs> yeah. He made me a nice uh, little ASU blanket last winter. <laughs> he did. Okay. It was, it, I, I was. I, I wear it on chilly nights. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't think he can keep rolling out eleven and one. I know you're a sun devil and you're enjoying this. <laughs> I don't. I don't think he can keep rolling out eleven and one. But I don't see why they don't keep rolling out nine win seasons. Nine this win is seasons. Five out of six years now. And that, that's going to be the average total when this is done. I mean, I know they had the down year at seven and six, but this year it clearly looks. I thought they were going to go 10 and two, and it, it looks like they're going to overachieve that. The 11th and 12th win are out there to be had. Yes, they are. Good on you. He knows what he's doing. 
I love his ability to identify talent. I love his ability to take these low recruiting classes and find ways to constantly overachieve them. And the guys, when they get commitments, eh, okay, this guy's a commitment. They just kind of all run together. Who was screaming and yelling when Marquise Blair committed? I don't know anybody was, and he's a starter in the NFL. Who was screaming and yelling when Leggy Fotu committed? Did anybody do that? I don't know. I don't follow high school football and all that stuff, so I can't really respond to that. Uh, but all I know is when they get here and when they're finished products, you know, and sometimes Jalen Johnson got a lot of pub going in because I'd heard about him. And he, he was, he was he has, the rare four-star he's, guy. He's fulfilled the the hype, clearly. He's at least matched it, if not exceeded it. Uh, and so... I love how they they just don't have these big time recruiting classes, but yet over and over and over again, they just crank it out. And I don't know that you're lucky you have him that type of thing, because at the same time he's lucky that he has this job too. If you believe in that luck, I know, and I don't I don't necessarily get into oh we're lucky to have him and yada yada yada. He's you're both lucky in that regard. Uh, so he's earned he's his being here is not built on luck it's built on day in and day out working his butt off to get where he ha- where he is and he deserves to be here and relative to what everybody else is making he deserves that kind of cash so i think the question for the program is whenever he decides to hang up the whistle and all that stuff right off into the sunset for a permanent vacation and retirement the stuff that has been baked into the program because he really believes in it, how much of that are they going to hold on to? The next person they hire, are they going to hold on to a lot of that? Because if we've seen anything, there's definitely a recipe for winning at the in-state schools. And if you get away from it, it's a problem. And if you embrace it, it seems to click. And I think that's been true to a degree at Utah, BYU, Utah State, and Weber State. Well, I think that uh, depending on who they get, I think that that would stay for a good while. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jazz beat the shorthanded Warriors 122-108. to Rudy Gobert at 25 points. Donovan Mitchell added 23. Jazz improved to 7-3 on the year. They're going back-to-back tonight. They host the Nets. Brooklyn Nets in town at Vivint Smart Home Arena. Game starts at 7 on AT&T Sportsnet. The Zone's coverage starts at 6 with the pregame show. Listen to it on 97.5 The Zone. Over on 1280 The Zone, it's the 17th-ranked Utah State Aggies hosting the Denver Pioneers in Logan tonight, 7 o'clock. Scotty G on the call with the pregame show at 6 o'clock. Top of the Wire brought to you by Diamond Airport Parking. Begin and end every great trip with Diamond Airport Parking. Diamond offers car to curb service, 24-7 airport shuttles, fantastic rates, complimentary bottled water, plus no one beats the friendly staff. Diamond Airport Parking, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save. That's Diamond Airport Parking. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. A lot of times people will ask me if you wouldn't have been a professional football player, if you wouldn't have been a radio analyst, what would you have been? I always tell them a paleontologist. I, We've done shows for a long time. You've never, ever mentioned that ever. I know. Paleontology? What? Maybe if you showed more I interest was, in the things I'm interested in. Was it just in? because of Laura Dern in Jurassic Park? Because you say that, then I'm like, okay, I got you. You know, Sam Neill was 
never right for her. Now, Dr. Hans. Dr. Hans. <laughs> Girl, nature always finds a way. I don't know how you guys take my dreams and just crumple them up like a piece of paper and throw it right back in my face. Oh, man. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Wayne Cook, UCLA sideline reporter. Wayne joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Get $100 off the redesigned Apple Watch 4 with a new line of service. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Wayne, good morning. Good morning, you guys. I, I, I got to tell you, that music leading in, and I don't know if you do this on purpose, but it, it's it's Remember the Titans, the, the scene when they start winning a bunch of games. Just a, I love that song. <laughs> so that brings us to the first obvious question. It must be asked of anyone who knows anything about UCLA. How has this happened? Because they were laughably bad in September, but October they were better, and now in November they know if they just keep winning, they're in the Pac-12 title game, and that seemed impossible in September. One of the problems with our current slate of, of college football, we have 130 teams, and they all play dramatically different schedules. UCLA, up until I think San Diego State lost this weekend, all three of their non-conference opponents were still in the top 25, like currently in the top 25. Oklahoma, Cincinnati both have one loss, and then now I believe San Diego State has two. So while people are playing schedules, and I, I don't want to throw shade on Utah, and I'm not saying this is – I don't know which is the smart way to go. There are, there are schools out there that play it a lot less – uh, well, I'll give you. I'll give you a better example, so it's not personal. Arizona State. Arizona State was getting kind of getting a lot of credit. They were in the when we played them, they were ranked 24th. They weren't the number 24th ranked team of the nation. They weren't that good. They they had played not that great of opponents, and some of their wins were squeakers. And then they they just kind of they, they were they were overhyped a little bit. And then you see teams like Minnesota. You could say they were. Their schedule's been weak, and then they beat Penn State. It was like, wow, maybe they're really that good. So there's more to it than just schedule. But but UCLA lost two of those three games by, I think, nine and ten points in the first three. So they were finding their way against really good opponents as opposed to finding their way against teams that they were that would, they would, would have probably beat, if that makes any sense. Okay, and then they got smashed by Oregon State, and the Utes beat Oregon State 52-7. to well, again, I made it personal, so I appreciate that comeback. That that <laughs> you only made it personal because I'm an ASU grad, not because I uh, have anything oh, to do Lord, with I Utah. I love it. See, you never know. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so, what's funny about that is the Oregon State game was 21 nothing before uh, before UCLA blinked. It was like six yeah. minutes in. It was 21 to nothing, and I, I got to admit, it was bad. It was terrible. The Arizona the Arizona game was worse because that's a game we we should have won. It was weird. Dorian Thompson Robinson missed the Oregon State game, so he was out. Uh, we had our backup quarterback in. He played pretty well. Defense wasn't there yet. Um, so those two games I can't explain. The the schedule is tough. The Oregon State game and the Arizona game, both close games. UCLA was in it, but they hadn't quite figured it out yet. And now we've got a quarterback that's playing really well. We've got uh, – and, again, I'll, I'll, I'll compliment here. I, I think the two best running backs in the entire 
conference are playing in this game and Moss and Joshua Kelly, uh, two big, strong backs. Um, so they're, they're starting to figure out um, how the, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson is getting a lot better. You have to worry about his legs because he's not only throwing it well, but he's running it well. And with Joshua Kelly being healthy, which remember he was not healthy at the beginning of the year and really didn't hit his stride until like the last four or five games, um, starting to play a lot better has kind of changed the team. And then for whatever reason, and part of it, part of it, and I'm going to go back on what I said earlier, the schedule that UCLA has won three in a row against hasn't been the greatest either. So, so they're, they're, they were front-loaded. The schedule was hard at the beginning in the last, I say, five games. To be honest with you, UCLA should have run five in a row because I think they should have beat Oregon State and, um, and, and Arizona. But uh, they're, they're getting better at the right time. This is a huge game. If you force me to bet on it, I, I, would, I would bet Utah. But I think, I think UCLA has improved a ton and, and is going to, you know, and I'm hoping they show up. So you went a little different direction than I, I thought. We have Lincoln Kennedy on the show, and he's been saying that UCLA has young talent, and I thought you were going to go more to the credit belongs to the coaching staff. Because the thing with the current system is we do start judging them from game one, and we don't really allow or recognize that guys get coached up. And UCLA's playing a right. lot of young players, and they are and, – and you make good points about the schedule. It was front-loaded. But – they're just actually better. They've been they've been coached up. They've learned right. from their failures and they've improved. Coach Kelly said all along that he would never change the and I and I think part of that's because of the youth. When you have a young team and and you know everybody asked him, you know, are you afraid you're gonna lose the team? Are you afraid that you're gonna lose the team? And and Chip Kelly has been so steadfast in this concept that like we're gonna do things right. We're gonna bring in the right type of players. We're not going to recruit kids that are going to quit on us. We're going to recruit the right type of people. And there was a lot of turnover. And this is a very young team. But they've played a lot of football now. You know, a lot of these guys played last year as freshmen, and, and now we have a lot of freshmen and sophomores playing. And, and they're, they are getting better. I totally agree with that. And, and even the, the, the local media out here, I mean, they just they try to ask Chip Kelly a million different questions in a million different ways. And basically they're like the same five questions over and over and over again. And he just keeps saying, guys, all we want to do is get better today. All we care about is Utah. They talk to him about how big this game is, and we all know that it's a huge game in the, in the Pac-12 South because when we look at the records, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're playing for first. I mean, it's huge for both teams. It's huge for the conference because the conference wants Utah to win. So it's one of those deals that, that Coach Kelly and that staff has just said, listen, we're going to do this the right way. And those loves they took early in the year against really good opponents – I truly believe he thought that that was going to make them better. So I, I totally agree with you guys. The, the players are getting better. The coaches are doing a great job. And no matter how much is being thrown at them, as far as it got, it got rough. I mean, people were already – I mean, shoot, some people wanted it to be like Willie Taggart. Like, listen, he, he's had enough time, like a year and a half enough time nowadays to, to turn a team around. And I, I'm sure glad that, that uh, nobody was listening that has intelligence in the athletic department – because this staff is good. I agree with you guys. And um, as a matter of fact, you'll see two great coaching staffs in this game because I, I think Utah's as good as it comes. So, yeah, that's, that's a great point. So we broadcast down there uh, for Pac-12 Media Day and all the coaches come through and, 
and the players, and Joshua Kelly came through, and, and afterward I wanted to hug him because I yep. just don't know that I could have found a, fi- a finer kid, and his story is remarkable about being a walk-on at UC Davis and all this stuff here, and so I'm really happy to see his success because he seems, at least during the time that we interviewed him, to be such a great kid. You would know it more than I am. I would, so I'm happy for his success, and, and certainly he's come on, and he's made a significant difference in their ability to have success. There's no question about that. My thought for you is Utah's very stout against the run defensively. How is it going to work for Kelly and DTR for that matter? Because obviously he's got the ability to run. Wow. Uh, To say that Utah's stout on defense might even be an understatement. I mean, they've been great. So this is going to be the test. I mean, it's been weird because starting with Stanford, UCLA's won the trenches Really, I'm going to go because they've had five straight games with 200-plus rushing yards. And so they've been winning. The offensive line's been getting better. They haven't faced Utah yet. Okay, One of the best defensive lines and defensive fronts in the country. Um, So this is going to be a huge test. Uh, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I try to interview. Every time I try to compliment Joshua Kelly, he compliments me more in return. That's just kind of kid he is. So I totally agree with you. Um, he's, he's amazing. He's more happy talking about everybody on the team than himself. Uh, we need more kids like that in, in college football. Uh, but he's a leader of this team. So if he gets 78 yards, and those 78 yards are the type of yards that can wear a defense out, and, and some of those 78 yards are, are, are first downs uh, or a goal line run, uh, I don't think he would care. Um, I think what's really changed things is that Dorian Thompson Robinson has become so much smarter with when he keeps the ball. Like earlier in the year, we'd be like, dude, is he just predetermining whether he's keeping it or giving it? And we couldn't quite figure it out. I think he was kind of playing the game. I, 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 I've often said that Dorian early in the year, which is he was just running the plays that were called. I think he's playing quarterback now. Like he's very aware of when it's third and four. And if he thinks he can keep it and get four yards or scramble on a pass play and get four yards, he's doing that on a regular basis now. So he's kind of getting that, like, I'm just playing the game because I want to win, not just I hope I don't screw up, which a lot of young quarterbacks do play that way. So when you throw into the mix Joshua Kelly, who who along with Zach Moss, again, I think are the two best running backs in the, in the conference, and it's weird because Tyler Huntley and the way he's playing, he's playing unbelievably well. And I was one that was critical of him because I didn't know if he was a, a good enough passer to win a championship. And he's been so good this year of leading the team. He even hobbled on the road last week. That was incredible, or two weeks ago. Um, I just think that, that they kind of mirror each other. The, as far as quarterback, running back, obviously Tyler Hunter is way more experienced, so we'll see what Dorian can do. But it's in the trenches where this game's going to be won. And so UCLA is going to have to find a way to block a great front because if they're forced to throw the whole time and they can't run the ball, it's going to be a struggle. So, and I think the same on the other side of the ball, you know, UCLA's defensive front has been so much better, but this is a different animal. And so they're going to have to play a team that's, you know, clicking on all cylinders. Wayne Cook, UCLA sideline reporter, joining us in advance of the Utah-UCLA game. So Utah's only loss is to SC, and SC threw the ball, in some cases up for grabs, and let the receivers go win a 50-50 ball and make big plays, and that's how they won the game. Yep. And then Washington led, 
and pushed the Utes before eventually losing, and they basically abandoned the run. I mean, they threw it 52 times and only ran it 22. Eason threw right. for 316 yards. Can UCLA, I, I mean, we watch their games. We've seen them. When they get the run game going, they're really good. But if they have to throw it down after down, what's that going to look like? Better than it would have four or five weeks ago. Because I think, you know, and I've said this the whole time, I've always thought the problem with UCLA was, was early, was quarterback play and offensive line play. And I've even told Dorian, to, I mean, I've talked to him all the time after games, I'm like, Dorian, dude, you've gotten so much better at just making the decisions of being a quarterback. You know, getting us into the right place. You know, throwing the ball to the right receiver instead of forcing it. Um, Kyle Phillips is a guy. You've got you to know where he is. Um, Devin Asiasi, a tight end, is a, is a guy. Um, there's some. You know, we haven't talked about uh, Demetrius Felton as much because with Joshua Kelly back, he hasn't been as much of an emphasis. But you have to worry about him too. The, the talent on this team has been there from day one. It was getting the the offensive line and the um, and the quarterback play up to speed, and then getting Joshua Kelly healthy. Now that they are, this offense has been one of the better offenses in the entire. And the entire conference, so so they're they're getting there. I, I I don't do not think the game plan is they want to throw the ball fifty times because I don't see a weakness. I mean, shoot, the the you know SC you guys that that game SC was healthier back then. Um, I know they're not looking as good right now, but those receivers are all NFL guys. They're so good. Yes, they do throw it up sometimes. I don't think you'll see that from UCLA. Um, they're, they're, this is more of a system, but there is talent, and so um, if UCLA has to throw a lot. I think it's probably trouble, but if they can stay balanced, I think that'll be great. So I saw a story early on in the midst of the losing that was starting out during the season that 63 guys have left the program since Chip Kelly <laughs> took over, and I'm sure you saw that. Is that just a situation of weeding out undesirables and they're better off for it? You know, it's funny because the weeding out part is weird because it makes it sound like it's all the coaches, like, you need to move on. I think weeding out happens naturally. I think some players were like, I don't fit. And so they leave on their own. Sure. And there was quite a few players. And, you know, people love to focus on, and this is a great conversation with Utah because I love what UCLA is doing right now. You know, people get all worked up about recruiting. Um, You know, Utah hasn't always landed the most four and five, five star guys, but they coach them up. They get the right kids. I I truly think that's part of what Chip Kelly's plan is. That doesn't mean we won't get four and five star guys because we've had a few. Uh, commits recently that are that are you know, have a few stars by their name, but if they're not the right kids, it's, who cares? We had some guys that were high ranking guys that may or may not have been team players, may or not have been the type of guys that would buy into uh, what coaches want to do. Or in some cases, and people don't want to hear this, they were overhyped. I mean, we live in a world, you guys, where every single kid now, it seems like they transfer to elite schools and they play with nothing but other elite players against, you know, teams that, let's be honest with you, they just destroy. And their stats are padded. And some of those guys are great, don't get me wrong. Some of the guys are, are, are can't-miss guys. But, but there's, there's other, a lot of guys out there that are really good players that get overlooked. Um, and if they're put in the right situation, uh, they'll succeed. So that whole whatever happened... I think it was a lot of different things. I think more than anything, guys needed to find a, a better situation. Um, some of it was injuries. Some of some guys medically retired. And then others were just, you know, guys couldn't buy into the program. So, I mean, I don't think much of it was, hey, you can't play here, move on. I don't think that happened as much as people would like to think. 
Last thing before we let you go, Wayne, the spread for this is 20 points. Does Vegas know something, or does that merely reflect kind of the the uh, general betting public's thought and they're not following it as close as they should? What, what do you see that might not might say that that number's wrong? Well, you know what? I don't, I don't really – this is what UCLA players have to understand, and it's probably good for them. This game, whether you like it or not, UCLA's got a three-game tournament, really, that starts and it's one game at a time. It's single elimination at this time. Um, if you don't, you know, to, to me, if, if, you, if, you can, if you can find a way, and, and let's be honest, I mean, the UCLA-Utah series, you know, it, I mean, it could go either way. There's been a lot of great games. Uh, Utah is one of the toughest. Everybody always talks about Washington and Oregon. Utah is one of the toughest environments to play in. The student section is incredible. But if you're a football player for UCLA, you love it. You love that everybody's out to get you. You love it that you've won three games. And, and I know both teams had a bye last week, so they both get a chance to get healthy. But, but you, you love that you've got all your, all your weapons. Everybody, everybody right now is ready to go for UCLA. Um, and and you, just, you love the opportunity to go on the road, and to try to take on a team, if, if UCLA could pull it off, this would be the third team that they've played, and, and it would be the third win against the top 25 team. You know, with all the losses, they beat Washington State when they were ranked at Washington State, and, and they beat Arizona State when they were ranked uh, 24th. So it's an opportunity. And so, and I know the coaching staff just wants to get better and play hard. And so maybe the number is something you can look at, but for the most part, I don't think that's the way UCLA is wired. I think they see an opponent on the other side of the field, and they know that if they play their best game, that they're going to have a chance to win it. And that's the way they go into every week. So, um, you know, numbers are numbers. I'm not surprised by that, though. Utah's been a better team this year. They, they deserve to be favored by that much. Wayne, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and, uh, you know, starting it off with that shot at ASU. That was excellent. The rest of us were grinning. We could see <laughs> you know, if face. I would have known, I would have rubbed it in a little bit more. I, Wayne, I, why I, didn't you I stick to coaching golf in high school? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I played golf yesterday, so it's like, it's a, it's a great sport. Don't you undermine golf. <laughs> I'm not, but isn't, aren't you a former <laughs> high school golf coach? Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean I was good at it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Anytime. Wayne Cook, UCLA sideline reporter. Join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne. So it's scheduling. Okay, and and you took and, and I think it's a combination. a hell of a schedule to start out. They with. did end up with three, even though they aren't named teams. They ended up with three teams with good records that were ranked. San Diego fine State, football not programs, right? Uh, but all of their conference wins have come against teams with losing conference records, right? So while they have improved a little <laughs> bit, they are not world beaters, and so that's the why the schedule he says, was a you know what in the beginning, right? So but I don't bring up the schedule later on. So they lost when they played the better teams. They won when they played the teams that were worse. And what they are is, what most of the Pac-10 is, a middling 12, team. 12, 12, my man. They've expanded. Pac-12, thank you. <laughs> they, what they are is a middling team, though. They are mediocre, like most of the league. Which, for UCLA, you got young guys, and you've gone from bad to mediocre. Because 3-9 and nine last year was bad. Fine. It doesn't mean they will continue but, to grow and end up being 12-0. and 0. But you can't say the schedule was so hard without acknowledging 
Well, yeah, they've beaten teams that have losing every every team they've beaten in conference yeah. has had a losing record. Really? Plus, they've lost to teams with losing. And records. that's why he said they the should. The top two teams in the South they haven't played yet. Right. So talk to me in two weeks. And that's why he said they should have a five game win streak right now. Oh BS! They did have a game in there. That Oregon State game. That was they were not ready to go. I was actually watching that game. That was a disaster. And they Arizona beat them with a backup quarterback. Tate didn't play. Come on. And how would Arizona stack up against Cincinnati and Oklahoma and San Diego State? I'm acknowledging the backup quarterback. That's not the point. So, do you think they've gotten better in the course of the season, or it's merely the schedule? It depends on when you're 0 3 and getting blitzed every game, and you've won one game. If you win one game, you've gotten better. (laughs) Or or you're just, this is when the easier teams on your schedule sucks. Right. It's a slew of crappy teams and two good teams and one decent team in SC. That's and, it. And there and where's UCLA gonna end up? Four and five or five and four? Well, they're four and two now. I think they lose the next two games. Cal they finish and that's a toss up. Who's available with right. Cal? So four but five and four, four and five. They're gonna end up being in the middle of a mediocre. I mean it's just mediocre. There it is. But at least they're not doing it with a bunch of seniors. At least they're doing it with a sophomore quarterback, and there's a chance to go up. Yeah, but that's next year. We're uh, talking I about now. Right. I don't care about next year because right. next year everything changes. Yeah. I 20, mean, Utah loses a slew of guys. They're 20-point underdogs, yeah. and they're going to finish 4-5 and five or 5-4. Five and four My in point is if you rip the schedule early, you also have to rip it when it got way easier. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, the Utah Jazz. That was a fairly Plus, easy I'm pissed. He ripped the Devils. That's what I thought. Yeah, I, thought that was a, <laughs> I thought he acknowledged the easier schedule when he said they should have won five in a row. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Jazz coming off a win, right back at it, going back to back. We'll get to our thoughts on that win and tonight's game next. DJ and PK, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Outside the three-point line. Reverse pivots to clear himself some space. Hands to Donovan. Donovan's rolling. Goes behind the back. Kicks it out to Conley. Catch and shoot three. Pow! Conley flares it up to Donovan. He catches on the go to the window. Rises with the right hand and packs it. Donovan Mitchell. David Locke on the call as the Utah Jazz pound the Golden State Warriors and improve to 7-3. and three. Join Hans and Scotty Friday, November 15th from noon to 3 as Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic. We'll be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for DD with no pills, surgery, or needles. So, PK, here's the question for Jazz fans this morning who've been waiting for the offense to really click, Mike Conley to settle in, the stats to get gaudy, the wins to pile up. Well, they're 7-3 and three through the first 10 games. You've got that college football scenario, you know, if you can play a team 10 times in conference play and you win seven years out of 10, you probably ought to take that. You're pretty good. Maybe that doesn't apply to USC, but it applies to everybody else in the Pac-12. And here are the Jazz. They win seven out of the first 10. 
off to a nice start, and the offense looked as good as it's looked. Is that because guys are getting familiar and settling in and getting a little bit of comfort? Or the Warriors are just really bad, especially defensively, and everybody's going to do that to them. And it's fool's gold if you judge your team on anything you see when you're playing the Warriors. Well, I think that you have teams like the Jazz who are judged on the postseason. They're not judged on November 10th or 11th. Uh, I think that when guys shoot the ball better, which some to a degree comes through familiarity, settling in, relaxing, those types of things, that you'll have a better offensive production. I look at the most positive sign from the game that I saw against the Warriors being that Gobert was scoring more because Gobert cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, develop or create his own shot. He needs absolutely the assistance of his players and his teammates. And so with that in mind, there was a play where I saw Bogdanovich driving and then he lobbed it to Gobert. That's brand new. That is something that literally cannot happen without repetition, familiarity, those types of things. And so that's the most positive thing that I took from that game is that Gobert, who needs help to score, we know how he needs help, his teammates with at least, well, you you can strongly argue three of the four starters beside him are brand new. Obviously, Bogdanovich and Conley are, and then O'Neal to an extent, is new in terms of playing with Gobert, right? So the only holdover is Mitchell. And, and Joe is in a different role than he was last year. So that thing naturally would require some time and the passage of playing games. So I really like the Bogdanovich lob to Gobert because I don't know who got Bogdanovich has played with throughout his entire career without looking it up rather than being off the top of my head. But how many times has he played with a player that caliber where you if you get him the ball above the rim it's going to be two so yeah it's a developmenting pro- developmental process and be encouraged that they're winning games some of it's schedule relating but i don't worry about scheduling in the nba because all of that flushes out so if if you're that you're not doing this but you're making a point that we could intimate to a degree some of it is scheduling it's not, it's not the literal point you're making but you're posing it as a question and yeah there's some validity to that but that'll take care of itself over time i think that one small thing and i don't know exactly i recognized it last night because i heard Kristen kenny talk and you've about you got a basketball twice. mind you're dang right i do and so let me sit back i want to see what you're what you're going to say here this is going to be fun Kristen Kenny said that there was a big emphasis. That's KK. KK said that there was a big emphasis on the shoot around about Rudy Gobert running floor harder and running better. And I think a bunch of good things come out of that. The first thing is he'll get buckets in transition. There are other good things that come out of that, and I think that's been lacking early on. And if they're turning the page with that, it's a small thing, but it's going to matter. It's going to add up. We're going to see more of the guys defending him get into foul trouble. We're going to see him get easy buckets. We're going to see him open up the floor for other people getting Stretch easy buckets. The floor. Go ahead, say it. Uh, Quinn no. said it. Quinn said it. He said, "Stretch the floor." Well, then I'm going to say, "Open." What are you going to say? Open the floor up. Okay. All right. Create more space. Sure. Yes. I buy it. Yeah. No, it's fine. And I think there are a bunch of good things that come out of that. Um, so if that is sustained, and there was a point, and it was either last year or two years ago, we can ask Locke about it because he made a point of it, and it was something that Rudy got better at over the course of the season and ended up helping. So I think that was one of the pluses that came out of last night's game. We'll see if that continues. Watch the way Rudy runs the floor as the Jazz play the Brooklyn Nets tonight. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. The question of the day, 
it started as a joke, but it ends up actually being a serious topic. Kyle Whittingham, why is he so good? What are the keys? Why have they had this sustained run? We will get to that next. DJ and PK, stay with us.